Welcome to Urban Hope Community Church's sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Today's sermon is titled, The Coming Final Day of Judgment, from Acts 17, 22-34. This is part one of a sermon series that will continue in the coming weeks from our senior pastor, Alton Hardy. concerning Jesus and his resurrection. Because this repentance from sin, this turning from idols and false religious philosophies of the world that's all around us, the religions of hedonism of the Epicureans, pleasure-seeking people, the religion is what I do really doesn't matter on this side of heaven. You see that all the time? It really don't matter. It don't matter if I break and kill someone's car. It don't really matter if I shoot and kill somebody. I've never seen, I mean, I'm only being around in this generation, but I've never seen the, the, the bravado of what I'm seeing coming out of the urban environment, like just how people can just murder people and muck them and just see it as that it's like nothing to it. It's like, it's like what I'm about to do. It's like just drinking some water. With no care, no no, no mindset, well, there is an eternal judge that you must stand in front of and give an account for that and, and killing the, the image and likeness of God. No care. It really don't matter what I do here on this side. Like I say, I can sleep around, jump around with whomever, steal, lie, be greedy, murder, because once a person dies, they will be absorbed in the cosmos. That's what the Stoics believe. Well, you just die, you just really kind of, you just kind of go away. The Epicureans believe that humans are moving towards annihilation or extinction, which is what you see, what the Jehovah Witness believe. They just believe when, when the bad people die, they're just going to get kind of just, God's just going to annihilate them out of, the, out of the stratosphere. See that also with Seventh-day Adventists. They believe that as well. You have many evangelical churches moving in the direction of soft um, universalism. That's what they believe. I have a book that I will be using in this sermon series. It's called What Happens After We Die? Pastor Harry Reeder did one of the endorsements. Lincoln Duncan is a good book. And on page 72, this guy named David Lodge, he writes, he said, at some point in the 1960s, Hell just disappeared from the pulpit. It just went in. Pastors, I'm not going to, I'm going to go myself. You just can put hell on pause. It just kind of went away. It just went here. He said, hell disappeared. He said, no one can say for certain when when this happened. He says, first it was there, then it wasn't. 
Jesus went away. He just wanted me. And he just right there. If you don't have the, the eternal damnation and judgment, I don't really understand Christianity at that point. Saving me from hell. <laughs> I got to tell you, go church, give money, be a part of the local church, and where I'm being saved from. It don't make sense. I might as well go down to the little local bar, give me a double shot of Hennessy, do fancy football, sleep around, get around, and just let it out and know what you're talking about. Carry my heater on me, just in case you trip me, just in case something in me I like. Call it a day. Don't make sense. But he here, he is the seed. Urban Hope Community Church. Jesus died to be like the fishes in Berea we saw last week. We desire to search the scriptures ourselves and to see whether these things about the coming final day of judgment are actually in the word of God. What are we going to do? We're going to just jump in it and we're just going to search the scriptures for a few weeks, maybe into the next year. We're just going to say, you know, I've never preached a sermon series on the doctrine of judgment. But yet, I can't get away from it when I just read the Bible. So you ask me, Pastor, how can I Christianize? Great question. Can I be totally honest? Fearful. And I'm studying the fact of God, I don't even want I don't know what I want. I know I don't want this. Let me tell God. Let me and God said, help me out. So here we are. So Apostle Paul, as we see in the text, he here is among these intellectual elites and the philosophers of the Greek and the Roman world. Modern day Americans in the Western world. Smart people. They're not dumb. They know how to conjugate their verbs, their adjectives. They can write a paper. They can write a report. They're the top of the food chain when it comes to the nutrients. They're not dumb people. And the word of God says here in verse 22, it says that Paul is standing in the midst of the Areopagus. I said on last week, this is better known as Marjiri by the Romans. That's what the Romans called it. Because the Romans now are in power over the world. They've defeated the Greeks. This is the place where they met to debate all the matters of philosophy. Hold trials for murder and crimes against public order. They did it at Mars Hill. And look at what Paul's first words to them in his, um, some scholars, theologians call this is one of the best sermons ever. I mean, it's Paul is a bad apostle. He, some, some say he's kind of old, he's kind of bow-legged, he's been beaten up so many times, and he's probably got his white robe on, and he's probably got some old sandals on, he ain't got no gait, man, sitting there bow-legged, barely can see, he doesn't have glasses, but man, he's bad in a hurry. I don't even think he talked that well. He says, I, my speech is not eloquent like, the, like some of the people around the Greek world. He's probably, like the start is not, he's probably got his words all mixed up, but he's bad in the Holy Ghost. Paul sitting there, boat leg, he's been beat up so many times, but he don't care. He loves Jesus. You know, he's been rescued. And so he starts out by saying, I perceive 
Can you imagine standing in that day 2,000 years ago? Brothers. Now, he didn't tell them close. They're not brothers in that sense. He said, I perceive in every way that you are very, very religious. He's telling everybody religious. He didn't want to blame the guy coming atheist. Oh, you're religious. Paul said, I perceive that you guys are zealous, philosophers, epicureans, Philip, tell a whole bunch more. Paul said, I perceive that y'all are very religious. Basically, what Paul is doing, you should read it, Paul is giving them compliments before he gets to the heart of the matter. He is meeting them right where they are spiritually first by acknowledging that, hey, man, y'all are spiritual. Y'all got spiritual people down here in Athens. Y'all, you know, y'all got, y'all got some spiritual haircuts. Because that's what people say now. We all spiritual. Because it was Jesus that everyone was spiritual. But then the word of God says, Paul moves them. He says, I can see that you're very spiritual. And then it says, he says, well, I pass along. And he says, and I observe the object of your worship. He says, I see all these little idols and stuff. But he's, but he's not condoning it. He's not, he's not beating up on it yet. He's, he's not going there yet. He's, he's, Paul's, Paul's a, you know, he's, he's been around, so he's going to come in back to him. So he's just building them up. Hey, I see y'all very religious. I see your object of worship around here. You know, you got your little hocus pocus, whatever. You got your little Buddha looking little belly. Oh, I see it. See it. See it. Everything good. I haven't seen nothing yet. Not yet anyway. But I will get there. And Paul knows everyone worships him. He said, I see your spiritual object of worship. Everybody in this room worships you. If I were to follow you around for one day, I would be a different man. In fact, I was thinking this as I was preparing for the sermon. If I could get in your mind for 24 hours, because I can't because I'm not God, but God can see it today, and I can tell you what you worship. Whether you worship money, pleasure, all kinds of stuff. Tim Keller used to say this. What you really care about, this is how you know, and you should do this this week. What you really care about in your heart, what God can see, when you're at the red light or somewhere sitting by yourself, no football, no sports, no TikTok, no IG, no nothing. Just watch what comes up out of you. Paul says, I see that you got your spiritual objects around here in worship. And then he says, and he says, to the unknown God, he said, I found this altar with an inscription to the unknown God. And this weak word here, to the unknown God, man, this is funny. I had never preached on this passage before. But this weak word, unknown God, guess what the word is? It's agnostic. The root word from when we get the word agnosticism. A person who believes nothing is known or can be known. 
So Paul said, I see you have this intention of this unknown God, this agnostic. I see it. And Paul was kind of picking on him a little bit because the Greeks were so corrupt. They came from the Romans. But they didn't know the true God. And Paul says, I am about to proclaim to you. Now he's Paul, Paul's moving in. You got you said you're agnostic. Have you ever been on a plane with a guy who's agnostic? You have some troubled waters on the plane. I hate flying, but I know I'm talking about it. <laughs> really helping myself out. <laughs> Sammy Gill is flying. I'm not. He just sits in the back and keeps me. I do not. Man, get me down. I don't know if it's a weight thing or whatever it is. I'm not just hearing that. I feel like I'm holding the plane down. I worry about me going over to Africa and all that stuff. I'm good. I'll get there in the New England or whatever. And, and uh, so, yeah, it's a different thing. So, so Paul says, um, you Greeks don't know anything. I will proclaim to you the God of Paul's being Jesus. Hallelujah. Then he goes in verse 24 and five. So he says, now he's about to learn of God. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, he first he says, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul stops. He's, he's helping them understand this God that he's about to, he's proclaiming to them, He's not made by the human hand. And there's not a, a facility or a statue or a temple or a mountain or a valley or a hill or anywhere in this universe that can contain God. 1 Kings 8.27 speaks into this. When Solomon was dedicating the Solomon's temple, it says, verse 27, but will God really dwell on earth, Solomon says. Does, he says, the heavens, even the highest heaven, Solomon says, it cannot contain you. You're too big for the heavens. How much less this temple I have built. Solomon had his guys right and his entire time said this. You think that God? That tree, that little statue you got sitting up on your shelf, that little crystal people be walking around now. What's that new thing black people get to keep saying around here? What is that? They got the little crystals and stuff they be doing. I don't know what it is. It's, it's a new thing coming in where they can get some favor and stuff from. That's not God. God is not in a crystal. You can't pick God up and say, let me rub his head and then he addressed me. Paul tells them, this is what they got. They got all these gods sitting all around. They got gods everywhere. So Paul says, he's too big for you to think that you can make him or shape him or form him. But here's the issue. We do it all the time. We make money God. Let me tell you, you just look at money. It's nothing but a cream. It's paper with some old white men on it with some gray beards. You just got to look at it sometimes. What are you killing myself for? Piece of paper. Here, you want some paper? I'll give you some paper. Bulletin. 
That's all it is. Yet you can still see it. Well, did you just make it? Paul says in verse 26, this God, and he made it from one man. Every nation, that's not. We know from Adam of mankind to live on earth. All the face of the earth, Paul says. God having determined a lot of tears in the boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him, find him, yet he is actually not far from each other. Paul here, he's addressing in this verse that they were not here in Athens or where you was born, who your ethnos or nationality, if you want to call it, your ethnicity. That is not of your choice. Please hear me. If you're white, European, it had nothing to do with you. That's what Paul is telling them. You're, you're not in Athens because cause they believe that. They believe that they were somehow, all of this stuff is just kind of like um, osmosis. Where you were born, if you're black, and what, you were born in inner city, you had nothing to do with your mom and your dad and who they were and how they hooked up. It was God doing and shaping in the form and in the womb. God could have put you in Bangladesh. You would have been an Indian. And that would have been of God as well. You could have been in Africa, over there in Africa, or in the Congo. Or you could be over in, over in Israel. You could have probably been a Hamas. It's nothing to do with any of us. That's what Paul is saying. God has set the boundaries. He has created all humans from one man, Adam. But all men have the same blood and the same nature. It doesn't matter if you're in Fairfield, you have the same nature of a Russian, which is the nature to do what? Hate on you. You say, man, I've never been to Russia, but God just like us in Fairfield. But God says, y'all just like us. What we got in common? Who did that? If you want to be honest, Adam, who did that? Adam. And Adam messed us all up. But then you can say, Here's a new Adam. Who is it? Well, that's my cousin. Come let me disciple you. Because you get him, then he gives you a new nature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You are a new creature in Christ. Now, where you used to want to kill, steal, and destroy, now you want to love and be unified with people. Get that new nature in the second Adam. Paul is saying, all from Adam, we have the same blood and nature. No man or nation is superior to another. All are equal. There is no favorite of God. God shows no partiality to one person over another. Jew or Gentile, black or white, religious or heathen. And God in this text is saying he's, Paul saying he's sovereign and his providence oversees all men, all nations, all languages. Where people are born, the time that you're born, you ever think about this? You're born Gen Z's, millennials, y'all born in a certain time. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> I'm not saying nothing. Y'all already know what time, so I'm going to be nice. Because I'm going to say, y'all was born at the best time. And uh, I was born in Generation X. Best generation ever born. 
But he's like, look, why are you here? Come to find me today. that you were supposed to be doing. How many of you God took you to work? This is the kicker now. Some of you have been in 18, no, 17 churches. Oh, you know what time it is. Sometimes we'll come and ride around and show them where we'll be riding and we'll look at them hot and feel and say, man, ain't no way. I'm thinking of it. I'm thinking of my 2023 now. Ain't no way they're going to believe that little kid like that. <laughs> but your ancestors did, pray. And they didn't have no sweet tea. You know, we go in the store, you got lemonade, and, you know, you want sweet tea? They didn't have no sweet tea. <laughs> See? The thing, don't get blessed with all. You ought to thank God you were not born in 1775. Especially here in the South. We've been out there in studies like the rest of my family. We've been out there picking up cotton. <laughs> so, but you ought to say, God, can, can you take care of that? Now? Yes, thank you, Lord. Now you can have it. God set all that stuff up. There are no accidents. They happen for us. He directed all the battles. We keep going. So then Paul goes on. He says, but in him, verse 28, he says, but in him, God, we live and move and have our own very own being. And Paul says, even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. This is Paul's place. And Paul is in this in this molecule with these intellectual giants. And Paul is waxing eloquently with these guys. This is one of the most profound verses in all of the scripture right here in Colossians. Because you got to know the context of this. He's with these, these Greek philosophers. Which they all they like to do is hear something new and tell them something old. They just love that environment. And Paul just drops some heavy theology on them right there. But basically what he's saying in verse 28 Paul is answering the question of what is life? Where did it come from? You ever sit down and ask yourself, where did life come from? Look at all of us, how we look. Look at the different hair textures. Some of us small, some of us very short. Some of us got, man, we just, you look in the mirror, man, you just got to be careful because you're just going to make your name nice and quick because you're just good looking. You don't have a big nose like I do. Your lips are good. You're just perfectly put together. You just look in the mirror and say, man, I'm nice too. <laughs> Some of us look in the mirror and we just like, nah, bro, ain't nothing. <laughs> Lord, help me. I may, every now and then, I'll be honest, every now and then, I see that I had a lot of money. I'm going to go get cut. Cut my nose. Do some shaky things here. <laughs> but, you know, God talks to me. Why are you going to cut? I want you to go. Go, 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 go get your nose. Right? <laughs> so Paul is saying, in this verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being. Paul is answering the question of what is life? Where does it come from? How did all of this get here? What keeps it going? You ever wake up in the morning? Why is it that the sun rises in the morning? How come it rises at the night? I mean, you just, and this is what the Greeks, the logos, they was asking these questions about reason. How, why is it water freezes up when it gets below 32 degrees Fahrenheit? Male and female, we like women, women like men. Who made that? Why is it that men have bigger muscles, stronger, and whatever the case may be? Did that just happen? Paul is answering the question, where did it all happen? It's just been all going. 
And we can listen to our secular society and the public schools and the public universities. They all teach that all human life and life on earth and the vast universe comes from some big bang 16 billion years ago, which came about by some random combustion with protons and neutrons. And here comes this intelligent universe teeming with life as we know it. That's thinking. 16 billion years ago. Some protons and neutrons got together. Maybe they didn't like each other. Heated up. <laughs> and I almost believed this one time. I was about, I was about eight for about one day. <laughs> so 30 seconds. Heated up quick. They got together. The baby stood on the galaxies and blew up. Here came what we see. But see, most people believe that. That's what they teach in our public schools. That's what they teach us in universities. And all of this life comes with children, animals, men and women, sun, moon, stars, trees, all types of fruits and veggies, beautiful waterfalls and beaches. Yet these atheistic scientists, academic scholars and philosophers from Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, Columbia, they are nothing more but modern-day molecules. Because you realize whatever they say up there, it kind of works their way down here on the street level. People believe that. They write the academic books. That's why you got these covers of books you read. You go, you're in school, you're in college. That person who wrote the book, he, he has a worldview that believes that this thing came about 16 billion years ago by some out-of-osmosis combustion. They write academic books that we study in college, high school, and all the way down to preschool and elementary, where children with young minds are taught they are a result of some cosmic accident. And the propaganda of the epicurean and historic humanistic philosophies are bombarding people's minds every day, and they're not even aware of what Apostle Paul is saying. That these are things 2,000 years ago. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Peter Singer. He was out in California last week. He teaches at Princeton. You can look this up. He wrote a, a paper defending or advocating smart guys. Peter, Dr. Peter Singer, 20 years. You should just take this class. That's why I'm in this class. This guy is smart. He wrote a paper defending and advocating for human beings to begin to have free of law and tending them not to be able to do it, to have sex with all the animals that you want. It's called Goucher. And he's at Princeton. Look it up. He writes books. He's a publicist. And they're sold out. He said, yeah, you should be able to sleep in your little bed. But we're privately on the line right now. Shouldn't be able to marry it or possibly have children again. You say, well, man, Pastor, how do you get this? I don't know. I'm just telling you what he's teaching. He's a, he's a great philosopher. He's advocating for Goucher. 
Because it's not there, this does not work. I think that this is the Ecclesiastes 12, 14. It says, For God will bring every deed into judgment. Judgment. First Corinthians 4, 5. Paul says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment for the time for the Lord come, before the Lord come, because he's coming again. For you will bring to light, you, Jesus will, he will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness. And I was reading it, and he will disclose. He will disclose the purposes of the heart. A thing that I can't see, you can't see. Things that he sees about me. And I'm doing this because of my own, you know, those, what, in other words, I mean, R.C. Sproul talks about this. What motivates me? Is it for ambition? To build a big church? To be known? It's, it's those hidden things that only God can see. So Paul's telling Corinthians, hey, don't make judgment about people. I've got that. Things that are hidden in darkness will be disclosed the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So Christians, God will commend us accurately based on who we were and what we did here while we lived. Paul is basically saying in this text that there is an authority that is bigger than all of us, bigger than any justice system of human court or human court of this world. See, Paul says there is a cosmic evaluation, authority, final day of judgment coming. Every human being will stand in front of Jesus, the Christians as well as the non-Christians. So why should you be? You should never say you should evangelize because of that. You should say, I evangelize because the one who is and is and is to come has told me to do so. If you don't come back to that, and let's say you say, I don't want to evangelize. Take me to prayer. Let's say, I don't want to be a pastor. And truly, in my heart, some of y'all know this, I don't. Let's say I don't, God called me to be a pastor, but I said, I don't want to do that. First of all, I don't make that much money. It's a lot of heartache. It's a lot of pain. I can't sleep. I'm losing weight. I can go work as a company, make half a meal, drive Range Rover, and y'all can't tell me nothing. But let's say I don't want to do that. I'm going to go do the other thing, the latter. God, stay in front of Jesus. He said, I called you to be a pastor, and he knew it. Yeah, Lord. I, 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 <coughs> I, yeah, I, Lord, I knew it. But, but uh, there's no money in it. <laughs> he said, what? Say that again. <laughs> Lord, there wasn't no money in it. <laughs> oh. You 
saved anyway. Paul says this coming day of judgment is coming. Paul says he invests faith. You invest faith. He says the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. This word here, um, times of ignorance overlooked, meaning that Paul says, he says, God has been extremely patient with people's idolatry before Jesus came. Their temples, their altars are given over to idolatry. Their gods and their goddesses made by human hands. They have exchanged his truth in his glory for a lie. They have worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Romans 1.23 they have been boasting in their hollow and empty philosophy. But Paul says God has, in past times, he has been very patient. He's been very gentle. He's been, he's been waiting a long time to send his son. His son has come. He has died. The Bible, Paul says, but God is no longer. He's no longer being as patient as he has been in the past. Because he now commands. All humans. And he has sent to this world, through his son, a divine subpoena. You know what a subpoena, when it comes to you, you have been ordered to come to court. God says, I've sent a divine subpoena. Which we as the disciples and missionaries, we carry out. We tell people. And God said, I now I command all people everywhere to repent. This word commands is parangelo. It means to announce what must be done. God says, repent. God says, come out of that substitute. God says, come out of that poem. Fight it. Listen to me. Hear me, young people. Please hear me. God says, fight it. Come out of it. Resist it. Mortify it. Do not be lazy in fighting against your sin. God says, repent. Come out of it. Obey me. Why? Why, Pastor? We read it ourselves. Why? Because verse 31. He says, because he has fixed the day. This word fixed means established. It has been set. It has been determined. It has been appointed. In which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And that this he has given assurance to all when he has come to bear. This Greek word for judge is keno. Which means to evaluate. God said, evaluate. Here's what we've been taught. Christians don't do it at all, do we? God, I wish I could stand here and evaluate everybody. Everybody. Everybody would be evaluated. Sinners, unbelievers, and sayers of the word. Christians will have a different kind of evaluation than those of the unbelievers. But nevertheless, we will have an evaluation. In the end, the text says, some believe him, some mocked him. Others say, we will hear you again about this. But Paul went out from their midst, and some joined him and believed, among whom 
was Dionys, Dionytus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them, which Luke doesn't tell us. I'm done. Put the slide up. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to read. Dion been using the slide, but he's been stealing from me for a long time, so it's time for me to steal back from him. So, it's a good thing. We, you know, we, you know, TV and food truck. So, he's stealing out of me. So, he used this yesterday at the um, Thanksgiving giveaway. And I'm learning the poem. Two minutes. Matthew 7. Like I said, when you read Jesus, he's always talking. This is Jesus' word. He says, anybody narrow gate, the wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Eternal separation, damnation, and hell, but the path. And there are many who go by it. That's what happened. They mock the cross. Ha, ha, ha. Man, we Epicurean. We preach what we want to preach with. We Dr. Peter Singer. We can preach with pony dogs we want to. A little meow, a little cat. Miss me with all this resurrection of the dead. We don't believe in no resurrection of the dead. We believe we're just going to be wrapped up in the cosmos and we're just going to be in the cat. Let's look at what Jesus says. Leads to destruction and many are who will go by it. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. There are few who find it. And this is why you understand this thing is spiritual. Look how many of the people here are not unsaved. But some way, some way they think they're on this road. And those of us who are trying to live the Christian life, we know it's hard. We know it's difficult. We know fighting against our flesh and fighting against sexual sin is not easy, especially in this time. But there are so many people, killers, gangbangers, sexual immoral, they sleep around, whatever. They just believe they're on the broad, they're on the road that leads to eternal life. And this is what makes it so difficult. It's easier. What many of us Christians have come to believe, we believe this road here is the road to eternal life. So that's why we don't evangelize, we don't share our faith. We just think everybody in our family, the uncle's been mad, he's been mad one time, but he's got 18 kids. But somehow he's going to die, and the preacher's going to get up and say, Uncle Jeannie Jeannie is in heaven. Church, none of you guys Bible, and that's what's happening. So what we're gonna be doing over the next few weeks, months, I'm gonna methodically walk through dozens of the Bible that we will look at. Unbelievers, Christians, how God evaluates thoughts, words we say, brave words we say, what we do, what we don't do, how we spend our money, what you do with your time, all of that will be evaluated. And I will tell you, the congregation is saying to me. I said, one, I'm not joking as much as I thought. Because I realize, as I'm reading this, I've got to get the comfort of reading this. So what we make sure is I'm going to get comfortable. I want to make sure that I'm preaching to you. And so with that being said, Thank you for joining Urban Hope Community Church's Sermon Podcast today. If you would like to hear more podcasts or need additional information and resources, 
You can find that at urbanhopecc.com. Please join us in the coming weeks as we continue to work through the coming final day of judgment sermon series.